I want to read to you a statement that Jesus made about John the Baptist. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, for just a moment, let those words sink into your mind and heart. Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, for a moment, would you think with me of all of the Old Testament Bible characters that we hail as so great and so godly? Let's make a list for a moment in our mind. And maybe even together, if you were going to make such a list of of the great men of God of the Old Testament, who would be on that list? Abraham would have to be on that list, wouldn't he? Noah. Moses. (laughs) Joseph. And David. And Daniel. And Elijah and Elisha, and on and on the list could go of these great men of God who have lived prior to Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he says this statement about John the Baptist, there is no one who is born of woman who is greater than John the Baptist. I don't know about for you, but for me that is mind-boggling. What was there about John the Baptist that made him so great. I've given to you last week, and hopefully you've read these suggested passages this past week about John the Baptist. I won't read all of them to you, but I will refer to them throughout the sermon. But I, I want us to answer this question this morning. What was there about John the Baptist that made him so great in the eyes of Jesus. And I think, first of all, from what I've seen in Scripture that I've read this week, is he was weird. (laughs) He was weird. And by that, I mean John didn't feel pressured to fit in with the rest of the world. He was not a conformist. He chose to walk by a different drumbeat. He didn't have to look like everybody else looked. He didn't have to eat from the same menu that everybody else ate from. He was weird, but he was okay with that. Do you remember what his attire was? Matthew chapter 3 verse 4 says he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist. He was not exactly styling. Yeah, I don't think you'd find John's picture in GQ magazine. Just just wouldn't be there. Unless they had a page that said, this is not GQ. There you might find John's picture. You remember what his diet was? It's listed here on the screen in the scripture. He, He ate... Locusts and wild honey. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, the the honey sounds pretty good. I like honey, but I've honestly never tried locusts before. Don't think that I'd like to try it. However, in case you would like to try it, I was reading in a book this last week, three different ways 
if you want to try locusts, uh, how to eat locusts. One, just bite the head off and and then eat the rest of the body. It, it, to me, it sounds kind of crunchy and juicy. A second way, if you don't like it that way, is you, you kill it. Maybe you take a pin or something, you stick it in the head and you kill it, and then you put it on a rock and you let it dry in the sun, and, and then you eat it after it's all dried out. Now, to me, that sounds a little well done. But here's, here's another way, and maybe this is how John ate the locust, was you pound it, <laughs> you mash it, and then you mix it with flour and oil, and you have a little locust muffin, and maybe that's where the honey came in. I, I don't know. John would maybe fix himself a, a locust muffin and add a little honey on top, and, and for John, that was good eating. But I can't imagine too many people wanting to sit around his table with him eating that. Most pictures that you see of John created by Hollywood depict him as a pretty wild-looking guy. I have a picture of him. That's kind of what Hollywood depicts him to look like, and, and rightfully so. He was a Nazarite from birth, which means he never cut his hair, ever. And probably not any shaving of his beard, ever. He was... A Nazarite from birth. Can you think of anybody else in Scripture who was a Nazarite from birth? Samson was one. There's one more. And this one, I I don't know that I would have got. Samuel was a Nazarite from birth. And, And John the Baptist is a Nazarite from birth. There was something else about John the Baptist. He lived out in the wilderness. He was not after the luster and the fast pace of the city. He was content to live in the desert. And I'm thinking in my mind as he's out there in the desert all alone that he has a lot of time to be with God. Hearing from God. Talking with God. Being molded by the Spirit of God. John the Baptist was very separated from the world. Not that that, that he didn't interact with the world because the world was, you remember the scripture says the world was coming to him. They were interested in hearing what he had to say. And so it's not that he wasn't around people at all, that he isolated himself from people. No, he isolated himself from the ways of the world. He was weird in that he did not have to be like the world. Maybe we need some more weird people in the Lord's church. I looked the word weird up on dictionary.com. You won't believe one of the definitions of weird. It's unearthly. Unearthly. Are we not called to be unearthly? Are we not called to be dead to this world and alive to him? Maybe we do need some more weird people in the church. People who are not so worried about fitting in and looking and acting like the world. There is in fact a Christian book out entitled Weird Because Normal Isn't Working. 
It's written by a fellow named Craig Rochelle. The basic theme of this book is what I've been trying to say in the fact that we should be different from the world's normality. We should be different in how we spend our money. I mean, think about that. As a Christian, we should be different in how we spend our money than how the rest of the world spends their money. And by that, I simply mean there should be evidence that we are making a, a strong investment into the kingdom of God. The rest of the world doesn't do that, but the Christians should do that. Because the kingdom means the world to us. The kingdom means everything to us. We should be different in how we spend our time. We should be different in our personal morals, in that we are pure. We are faithful to our spouse. We don't sleep with our girlfriend or our boyfriend. We don't sleep around. We are weird. We are different from the world. You turn the TV on and it seems like every show and, and the, the shows that are being advertised as you're watching TV, it, every show it seems like has a, has a bedroom scene in it. We should be weird in that we as Christians are committed to sexual purity. What about you? Would you dare to be different from the world? It doesn't mean you have to go around eating locusts and wild honey, but why not dare to be different in your marriage? Why not dare to be different in your workplace and in your classroom? Why not dare to be different in what you give yourself to and what you become passionate about? John the Baptist was great in the eyes of Jesus because he was weird. Let me give to you a second point. He was called by God. I think that's why he was great, too. Of course, we're all called by God. The thing about John the Baptist that helped make him great, though, is he answered the call. He said yes to the mission that God assigned to him. You, you do remember what his mission was. His mission was to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He was the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 4 and reading through verse 6. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. That's Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah's forerunner. And as I was reading that passage this last week and just thinking about it, my mind drifted to what I've seen on a regular basis the last couple of months as I have driven between Fort Scott and Pittsburgh. As I have driven down there and back, I have seen surveyors on the side of the road doing their work. 
And I suppose that means at some time, hopefully sooner than later, there will, there will be the next step. There will be people coming in with heavy pieces of equipment and, and, and they'll start moving dirt and, and we'll eventually see a four-lane highway between here and there. But before those fellows come in with their big pieces of equipment and, move, and begin moving dirt, before all of that happens, the survey work has to be done. And in a very real sense, you might say, those surveyors are preparing the way. And they will make the way straight. And they will be filling up the ravines. And they will be bringing down the hills. And that is exactly what John the Baptist was doing as the crowds were coming to him. The ones who were living crooked lives, he was trying to help them make their lives straight. And the ones who had ravines in their lives, the ones who had deep needs, he was trying to fill them up. And the, and the Pharisees who were proud and lofty and they thought they were better than everyone else, he was trying to bring them down to where they needed to be. And he was doing all of that by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that he was preaching. John the Baptist was called by God. Before he was born, he was called by God. Maybe you remember the circumstances surrounding his birth. His mother and father were old and they were beyond childbearing. Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they had lost all hope of being able to have a child. But as Zechariah was in the temple doing his priestly service to God, an angel came to him and told him that his wife would conceive and bear a son and that son would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And the angel even told Zechariah what he was to name his son. He was to name him John. And Zechariah had such a hard time believing it And Elizabeth had a hard time believing it, but it happened just as the angel had said. And that little baby grew into manhood. And apparently, God had made it very clear to him what his calling was. And praise the Lord, John answered the call. He said, yes, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say. He answered God's call. What about you and me? We have a call from God. Every single one of us have a call from God. His call is that we be holy. That's one of his callings to us. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Are you answering that call to holiness in your personal life? He has called us to be his witnesses. He says, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We have been called to be his witnesses Are you answering that call? 
Some of you are familiar with the series of movies, Mission Impossible. And in each movie, the team is given a mission. And if they say yes to the mission, they can expect many challenges to come their way. But the mission, if you've noticed, is always worth fighting for. And the mission is always worth dying for. And the same could be said of our mission that God has given to us. It doesn't come without great challenges, but it's always worth fighting for, and it's always worth dying for. John the Baptist was great because he answered the call of God upon his life, and I hope we will answer his call too. I'll give to you a third point about John and why he was great in the eyes of Jesus. He was bold in preaching the truth. It didn't matter who his audience was. He would not back down from preaching the truth to them. Let me read on to you from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. John was bold. And he spoke the truth to whoever it was that came to him, whether it was the Pharisees who were spiritually proud or whether it was the tax collectors who were corrupt or the Roman soldiers who were completely pagan. He used the word of God like a sword. And that sword cut to the very core of their hearts. His message was that they should repent. And that's more than just a mere sorrow for one's sins. It's a sorrow that leads to a point of change. Repentance calls for one to surrender their life to God. It calls for a radical change to be made. It calls for us to give up our sin and give in to His way of living. It calls for us to be different from the world. And John was so bold that he would even be willing to go toe-to-toe with the king and tell him that his having his brother's wife was a sin and he should repent of it. You do know that this boldness that John had in preaching the truth is what cost him his life. 
The king didn't like what John had to say. But you remember, it was the king's mistress who really didn't like what John had to say. And she asked for his head to be brought to her on a silver platter, and she got what she asked for. In John's mind, the mission was worth dying for. I was wondering how the church today might respond to John's preaching. What do you think? If John wanted to fill this pulpit, what would your response be? Well, maybe, maybe before you do that, John, you should get a haircut and shave and clean up a little bit, dress a little bit nicer. Maybe you should do that before you preach in our pulpit. Would that be our response? Would, would we say, John, maybe you should try to be a little more positive and not so negative? Could we send you to a seminar where Joel Osteen could just give you some pointers about how to preach? And John, would you just stop harping on, on the axe that's laid at the foot of the tree, and if you don't bear fruit, the tree's going to be shut down? Would you stop preaching about that, John? I'm just... I'm just wondering, how would John do in, in today's church filling the pulpit? But remember what Jesus said about him. No one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. You do realize Jesus is preaching sounded a whole lot like John's preaching. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I wonder if the church today would even like Jesus' preaching. I wonder, too, what would Jesus and John say to the church today? Would they have something to say about our lack of holiness? Would they say anything about what we spend on ourselves versus what we spend on the kingdom? Would they have anything to say about what we're passionate about or where our level of commitment is or what about our love for the world? Would, would Jesus and John have anything to say about those things? I think they would. And I think the bottom line of their preaching today would be the same as it was yesterday. It would be the church needs to repent. The church needs to surrender. The church needs to give up living for themselves and start living for God and, and investing their lives into the kingdom. 
I wonder if we would listen to them. Would we listen to Jesus and John today if they were filling the pulpit? Or would we fire them and send them on down the road? Or even worse, would we kill them? I'll give to you one more point about John the Baptist. He was humble. I want to read to you Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The people were wondering if John was the Messiah. They actually came up and they were asking him if he was the Messiah. And I know that if he would have made such a claim, if he would have said, yes, I am the Messiah, he would have had a great following. John wanted no such glory for himself. What John was interested in was pointing people to the one who was coming after him, he said to them, I am not even fit to bend down and untie his sandals. He was speaking of Jesus. John was all about pointing people to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist said, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. The New Living Translation translates that verse this way. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Let me tell you the context of that passage. John's disciples came to him out of concern because the crowds were beginning to shift from going to John And instead, they're going to Jesus. And John's disciples come to him and say, Hey, you're losing your popularity. Those people that have been following you, those people that have been supporting you, they're now shifting, they're going to Jesus. What what about that? And John's response was, He must increase and I must decrease. I'm taking the back seat so that he can have the front seat. He was humble enough that he could could live with that. In fact, that's what he wanted to have happen. He understood that needed to happen. He understood that he himself was not the Messiah. His mission was to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And as the Messiah came onto the scene, the Messiah was to take the front seat and he was to step into the back seat. Have you ever been in the limelight and then had to step out of the limelight to make room for somebody else to be there? It's not an easy thing to do. But that's what John did because he was humble. He was all about Jesus. He was all about the kingdom of God more than what he was about himself. And as I think about John, and even what the, the material that we've covered today and what Jesus had to say about him, I'm saying 
He's one that we ought to try and imitate. Because according to Jesus, at that point in history, no one who had been born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. He was weird in that he did not have to be like the rest of the world. He was called by God and he answered the call. He was bold in his preaching. And he was humble. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for John, his example to us. Just that you have shown us in your word the kind of man he was. So help us to learn from him today. Lord, help us in this new year to come to answer your call, to be humble, to be bold, and Lord, even to be weird. And we pray this in Jesus' name.